Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. This is episode 19 of the Traveling Image Makers podcast and I'm your host Hugo Chai. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Australian photographer Paul Pichugin. I've known Paul for quite a few years and uh, his image of a successful person with a big social media following has always uh, fascinated me. So I was quite surprised when a few weeks ago I read this article on his blog called Let's Be Honest where he was uh, detailing with a lot of uh, openness uh, the struggles he was having trying to make ends meet and turning what is a positive and uh, popular social media presence into real business and how it's hard these days to put money on the table for a traveling photographer. As I think Paul's difficulties are common to many photographers who sometimes find it hard to translate popularity into real business, I wanted to interview him for the podcast and I'm truly happy that he accepted to be my guest and open his heart once more to talk about art, business, social media and their relationship. We didn't just talk about business, of course, but we also chatted at length about uh, Paul's travels, especially his recent trip to Antarctica, a place that is so fascinating and so sought after by many photographers. If you ever intended to visit the seventh continent, you should definitely listen to this interview, as Paul has so many practical tips and advices to share about traveling to Antarctica and photographing its uh, amazing landscapes and wildlife. So I invite you all to listen to my interview with Paul Pichugin. And remember, you can find all the show notes for this episode at ttim.photo/19. There you will also find a link to our iTunes channel and I encourage you to leave us there an honest review. Thank you very much and until next time, all the best. So my guest today is um, Paul Pichugin, who is uh, chatting with us from, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Perth, West Australia. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm well. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, what time is it there now? Uh, it is 8.20 p.m. 8.20 p.m. So you're uh, relaxing after the long day of work? You set your children to bed? You put them to bed already? or are they still, Yeah, children uh, are in bed and I'm actually packing to head to Perth. I, I live about two and a half hours south of Perth. I've got uh, all meetings tomorrow, so I'm driving up tonight. Uh-huh. Mm, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Who is Paul Pichugin uh, as a photographer? What's your story? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Paul Pichugin. I'm a primarily a landscape and travel photographer. Um, I work with mostly tourism boards and travel-based companies, um, airlines and um kind of that genre of photography, if you will, uh, and a little bit of commercial stuff for some of kind of the hotels and resorts uh, in that same niche, though. Uh, my background, I have pretty much always been into photography. Parents bought me a camera at quite a young age. I know it's the cliche, but, uh, you know... <laughs> 
it, it's true for me. <laughs> they they bought me a camera when I would have been about five years old, um, and I've had it as a hobby ever since. Didn't really occur to me that it was a a valid vocation um, when I was in high school. So I I had a IT career for ten years before making the jump uh, to full time photography, and I shot weddings for quite a few years, uh, won a bunch of awards and worked with some of the best in the industry in that, in that regard and then realized I didn't actually like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, And it wasn't what I was into photography for. I was I, you know, passionate about the landscapes and getting outdoors and hiking and having adventures and exploring and travel and none of that really worked in the in the wedding industry. Um, so I moved across to what I'm what I'm passionate about. So it's a common common story. Many people that start with a career in unrelated fields and especially IT, and mm-hmm. then realize they have a calling for for photography. And that, that that seems to be your case as well. Yes. Yes. So you are. You are if I may ask, you were you burned out with your work in IT, or it was just that photography was. Uh, Took on more uh, and more of a, an important role. It was like your your passion. No, uh, I mean I was a little burnt out, but I mean I, I had a very very good job. I was the head of IT for a major company, um, which paid very well and had lots of flexibility. But then the GFC hit um, in two thousand and eight, and they made the whole IT department redundant. So mm. I was already running my business part-time, I went, oh, well, this is a, a good opportunity to go full-time and you know, try and grow a business in the middle of the GFC. So in hindsight, not such a good idea, but it worked out. <laughs> so. <laughs> and if I remember, I remember from listening to some of your other interviews that you gave that you have, uh, uh, with your background in IT, you developed some, some software for your photography business and so on. So it was not all wasted years. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't consider any of them wasted. I, you know, I cut my teeth in IT business. You know, learning how to run my own business and do a, do a lot of things that you know, you still need to know as a photographer, and even more so as a photographer trying to run a business. So yeah, it uh, it, it set me up quite nicely for it. So we'll talk a bit later about business and uh, the business aspects of photography, but first. Uh i would like to to talk about something maybe a little bit more exciting like your recent trip to antarctica so i know you just came back from there can you tell us uh, a bit how was the experience was it was that the, the first time you went there how does it look through the eyes of a photographer uh so yes it was my first trip to antarctica um it's someone that's been on my list forever and i it was one of those places where i wasn't really trying to go if that makes any sense I, I I figured I was a long way off being at a stage where people would pay me to go and I certainly couldn't afford to go myself um, because it's it's not a cheap place to go uh, there's you know no Airbnb or Uber there so it's it's <laughs> your, your options are limited but um, yeah so I made a connection with an expedition company and they uh, 
they said, hey, we'd like to send you, and I said yes. <laughs> and I, I went, yeah, just uh, got back just over a week ago, and it was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I've seen probably every documentary on Antarctica, and they're all amazing, and none of them actually do Antarctica any justice. It's so incredible. Um, it's just a lot more to see than what I initially thought, you know. Um, and the the company I, I went with, Aurora Expeditions, they um, they cater quite well for photographers in particular um, in terms of, you know, they, they're very flexible on schedules and, you know, if you want to get in the Zodiac with, with a group of other people taking photos, they, they will take you around and, you know, take you out to the icebergs to photograph at the right times of day um, and make sure you're, you're in the right spots to to get the right light. But, uh, yeah, it was just incredible. I, I really have no words yeah. to describe. <laughs> I can imagine. That the way I think about Antarctica is a place where there are some really unique, unusual landscapes with icebergs and so on, which, uh, I mean, with... You and, and me too, as uh, with our background as landscape photographers, they come quite naturally. We have the equipment to, to photograph those those kinds of landscapes. But uh, in my mind, it's also a place that is uh, uh, replete with wildlife, penguins, seals, and so on. Did, did you find it difficult to uh, to approach those subjects? Did you do you need any specific equipment, or to, can you really get close to those animals? So there's international agreements surrounding the wildlife in Antarctica and in over Antarctica completely as well, not just the wildlife but the landscape as well. So that you're restricted on what you can and can't do. Um, you're not allowed to you know go and high five a seal kind of thing, mm -hmm. but you're allowed within five meters of any wildlife. And if you then stop moving. And the wildlife comes to you. You're, you know, quite welcome to stand still and not startle the wildlife. So, you know, there were times where I would be walking along, spot some penguins, which you know, it's not hard because there's literally millions of them. But, uh, you know, so I would stop and you know, squat down to take some photos, and they would, you know, come right up to me yeah. to kind of have a look at what I was doing. Uh, they're very curious creatures um the the only creatures you really have to be cautious of are the seals um leopard seals in particular can be quite aggressive if you're in the water um i i went snorkeling so they uh they're not they're not big fans of snorkelers so we, we were pulled out of the water anytime there were leopard seals around um other than that you know they're, they're fairly slow on land or on the ice you know so it was uh you could take your photos and then move on without too much trouble but yeah you you, you still want to stay out of, out of reach yeah so but you don't need a very long lens like you you need in some places in africa i mean no getting I mean, a, a cheetah or a leopard in africa probably yeah you're going to want a 600 or yeah. with, with a two times converter or something like that you know you're um, I, I traveled with a bunch of gear that Canon sent me for the trip. They were very kind to loan it to me. 
Um, at the moment, I'm shooting a mix of Canon and Sony gear, so um, it was it was nice to have the uh, the extra Canon gear for the trip. Um, very hardy and what took handled the weather very well. But uh, yeah, the longest lens I had on me was a 200 mil. Um, I did try out a 600 mil, I think it was, while I was there, and that was that was great. But I mean, it's close not- enough life not to need it yeah it's not really needed no oh, yeah, that, that's important for for people who might want might think of going there it's uh, it's okay yeah to, i mean there, there were other photographers that just had uh, not just that but they you know all they were carrying was like a fuji um xt1 i think it was with you know, a couple of small lenses nothing nothing major and they got amazing shots you know it's it's I always say it's not about the gear, it's how you use it, but, you know, within reason, you know, you, you, if you're stuck, you know, with just a 16mm lens, you're not going to get anything too amazing wildlife. <laughs> and, but, you, uh, and you went snorkeling, I mean, the uh, water must be I pretty did. cold there, and got a, they, do they give you a wetsuit too? No, no, no wetsuit, you wear what's called a dry suit, um, so you wear your thermal um, you know, underwear, you or base layer. You wear um, fleecy pants and and a uh, you know fleecy top, and then you put your um, dry suit over the top of your your clothing because you don't get wet at all, which is probably the most hardest part to actually comprehend. Is you know you're in the water, but you're not wet, uh, and that covers you know head to toe. Pretty much the only thing that is exposed to the water is um, some of your face, and that's cold. That's that's very cold. The water is hovers around zero, so um, if you go to any depth, it's it's below zero. Um, but you know the dry suits fill up with air, so you you kind of float. You can't really to give you buoyancy. Yeah. So. And how does one get to Antarctica? I'm, I'm familiar, I mean, from reading about it, that most people would go the, the South American route, they go to Ushuaia, then they cross the Drake Passage to get there. Is there a way to to get from Australia, or did you have to go to South America? How well, does it work? I mean, there are options that go from um, Tasmania, on, on the island south, on the south of Australia, and there are options to go from New Zealand, um, the very far south of New Zealand. I actually went via Chile, so I flew across to Chile, and we left from Port Williams in Chile, um, which is apparently the southernmost city in the world or town in the world. Um, and yeah, we crossed the Drake Passage. That was that was an experience. Um, quite a few green faces because the Drake is not a calm body of water um i am fortunate enough to not get any sort of motion sickness so i i was fine but uh there were there were quite a few people who just stayed in bed for the two days two and a half days crossing the drake um and then yeah we we mainly went around the peninsula of antarctica we didn't get too far south because this time of year the the sea ices and pack ice is already starting to form and um you know, the, the, you're restricted on your movement and you don't want to kind of go into a bay and then yeah, get not stuck there. Get out. Yeah, <laughs> that's happened before. Um, not with the company 
sentence with, but uh, yeah, it's it's happened where people have been stuck there for weeks. Um, in fact, there's a ship that's run aground at the moment. I don't know if they've freed it yet, but it, it ran aground last week and um, it's stuck there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it happens. Um, a lot of it's uncharted, so uh, it's it's you know difficult for people to nav- navigate. So you, you would recommend that kind of trip to... Absolutely. Uh, I, you can actually fly from Port Williams to Antarctica. There's there's a base, air base you can fly to that lands at one of the research stations on one of the islands and then get on a ship from there. But, you know, honestly, I think you... I think you need to do the Drake Passage or do the ship at least on the way there in order to kind of put it into context, you know, where it's not somewhere you just go and have a quick holiday or, a, you know, get away. It is true wilderness and, you know, it's a harsh environment. So I think going via ship to get there is part of the adventure and kind of puts the whole experience into context. Um you can fly out that's not a problem but uh, yeah that, so that that's still pretty much an adventure to to get there yeah. still uh, and you're uh, staying on a ship you're sleeping there with uh, with the crew and all the guests it's uh, i'm sure it's a uh, it's a great experience maybe one yeah so yeah we we uh we slept on the ship most nights um we camped hmm um one of the nights that was that was pretty awesome um no tent you know the weather was clear so we uh we just had a uh, thermal mat and a yoga mat and then um a sleeping bag and and that was it that was that was amazing it was it was a little cool you know initially but you get in your sleeping bag and it's plenty warm did you did you get to see any so, how do you call them? Southern Lights or Aurora Australis? Uh, I saw a brief amount of it, but uh, for mo- most of the time we had a fair bit of cloud cover. Um, and then when we had clear skies, we were so far south that it wasn't really getting dark properly oh, yeah. overnight. Um, it's still same as your know, northern hemisphere in summer, you know, the f- you get 24-hour daylight if you go far enough south during the summer. Yeah, so then you don't get enough dark hours to com- yeah, so combine with the weather, which might be a bit unpredictable, and uh, solar activity and so on. It's uh, you got to be lucky yeah. to to see some of those lights. I yeah, I mean, we, we can see them from mainland Australia occasionally. Um, Tasmania gets it very, very regularly, the auroras. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so does the south island of new zealand but you know even where i live if i drive half an hour 40 minutes south from here i can see them if it's a particularly good um solar storm um so yeah yeah okay so uh, it would be great to to talk about antarctica for a while but uh, i really <laughs> wanted to to spend some time and talk a little bit about business, so maybe listeners who don't want to to hear about list uh, about business can just uh, <laughs> drop off now <laughs> if they want. But I, I think it's going to be interesting anyway. I mean, you have to to combine both. You cannot go to to Antarctica uh, with the prices that those expeditions have if you don't have the the money to go there. So, money is always uh, 
a concern for for photographers yeah, and yeah. for everyone as you were hinting at before so i was uh recently reading uh, uh, an article you you put up on your blog which was called uh, titled let's be honest and uh which talks about your struggles as a travel photographer um the causes of their struggles and and how to overcome them can you maybe summarize uh, a little what the the article is about we will put a link in, in the show notes so people can go and read about it all if they want but if you just want to to give us a brief summary sure uh so it's called let's be honest and the idea behind it was you know i, I get a lot of comments on so i'm sorry, i'll put this into context i'm fairly well followed on social media um you know i've got a decent audience and a lot of the comments I get are, you know, take me with you or you're so lucky or wow, I wish I had your life kind of thing. And, you know, I get, I understand the comments and what they mean, but I I wanted to kind of give a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, you know, the, the, to show the reality behind the marketing. Um, for me, social media is all marketing, 100% marketing. Um, you know, I, I share my photos in order to get business. It's, um, and that's, that's, you know, the only reason I do it, uh, for, for a lot of the channels. Um, yes, I'm absolutely proud of my work and my photography and I do like, enjoy sharing it. But for me running a business, there's, there's a goal to get more business. Um, and so what people are seeing on social media is marketing. It's, it's the best version or the highlights reel, if you will, of, um, of what I do. And so the blog post talks about, you know, some of the, the deals I've had go south and, you know, other things kind of blow up in my face, um, getting, you know, the short end of the stick in many deals and, you know, having, having, Different different circumstances that I've had to overcome in the last, you know, primarily six months. It's been a bit of a struggle. Um, I, I live in Western Australia, and the primary industries here are mining, oil, and gas. Um, so up until August, I had clients in that sector. Uh, we had a faced a major downturn, as most of the world did. Um, and I lost all those clients. <laughs> so that was a, a large part of my income. In fact, you know, over 90% of my income disappeared overnight. Um, and, you know, I took on a few other projects that weren't ideal and got me distracted from, you know, my main purpose. And and so, you know... Do, do you think that that is um, a situation that is common in the industry and it is due to... Uh uh, recession or uh, or maybe changing trend, trends in the industry or is it something that is uh, specific to, to you and, as, and a specific point in time because maybe some deals didn't go through or does it signal the fact that we have to somehow rethink our approach to business and what do you think? I, I think it comes down to that old saying don't put all your eggs in one basket mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so being a, a you know, I there's only me in my business. I, I have in the past used a couple of contractors to um, handle some of the workload um, because a lot of the stuff I was doing for the resource sector was 
entirely technical in nature, um, the photography-wise, and basically there was no creativity required, and so you can teach technical. Um, you you can teach creativity as well, but it's much harder, and you know, people tend to want to develop their own style and and look at things, whereas technical is very easy to just, you know, you can systemize it, you can put it into instructions, and as long as people can follow instructions, they're going to get the desired results. Um, So that was, you know, how I was expanding my business in the resource sector. Um, But I was relying far too heavily on that one industry, and so when that um, took a downturn, obviously, you know, the part of my business relying on that industry took a downturn as well, uh, rather rapidly. And I'm definitely not unique in terms of being caught up in that, um, particularly here in Western Australia. You know, there's so many mining services companies and resource sector services companies that are going out of business at the moment because they just don't have the work. You know, they're having to lay people off and what have you. Um, from a photography perspective, I, I I do have quite a diverse group of clients, um, but I I wasn't because of the the bigger projects. I'd actually kind of blocked out large amounts of my time um, and dedicated it to that that project, which doesn't leave you any time to do any further marketing or to do other projects. So. Um, when it gets cancelled on short notice, you, you're left kind of scrambling for other work. So, of course, looking at your uh, social media profiles, what one sees is mostly travel photographs. I mean, you're not mm-hmm. putting mines and trucks and, uh, and factories on your social media profiles. They're not They're not, not interesting all. and glamorous. So one, one might think that all you do is just go to exotic places like <laughs> Bali and Antarctica and uh, Jordan or wherever you've been recently and spend 20, 12, months, 12 months a year going to these places and shooting for travel magazines, websites, uh, um, travel agencies and uh, local organizations, um, the local travel groups and so on, but that, that's not the, the reality that only was a, a part of your income and most of coming from the industry when that sort of evaporated, that would cause the, caused you problems. Yeah. But, so, but, I mean, yeah, when all ahead. that happened, I was in the process of building up the tourism side of things. So, I mean, this is the problem that faces every photographer um, is what do you do for an income while you're building your business um you know so for me i I launched a whole separate company called immersive images um and that was focused on the resource sector um as well as kind of hotels and large uh like infrastructure companies um and basically companies that you know say had large shopping center groups or um large hotel groups so it was it was all about working with companies with a lot of assets over a diverse geographical area, um, not necessarily just focusing on the, the resource sector in that regard. Um, and, yeah, I, I set up a separate company with a separate business name 
because you can't market yourself to you know tourism and you know wilderness experiences and market yourself to you know the oil companies it's just they they don't work together yeah. uh, you know so you have to, uh, to have two different brands yes um and so you know it was more having the immersive images was about having an income that was reliable and significant to then invest that money into growing the travel and landscape brand um so when that suddenly disappeared it was you know all of a sudden i had to make the landscape and travel work in your article it, you were so sorry go ahead you wanted to add something and i go, go for it yeah i was um i was saying uh, in your article you also talk about the importance of uh photographing uh, shooting what you love and mm -hmm. uh well it, at least in my case that would be shooting travel and landscape images not so much mines and trucks and so on but can, can you talk a bit about this uh, about this the importance of shooting what you love and can you really uh, uh, make enough money to a living from shooting only what you love I believe you can and I think if you look at the top photographers in the world um, in whatever niche or you know segment of the industry um they're shooting what they love and what they're passionate about i mean you you so we'll, we'll take the wedding industry you've got say jerry gohonas yervant marcus bell and joe Busink, which kind of the the top photographers in that segment from memory and they only shoot weddings and they're all making a very 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 good living at it then you know if you go to kind of your um adventure commercial type photography um for you know say your your sportswear brands and that 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 particular thing you look at chase jarvis's work he's shooting what he's passionate about he enjoys shooting that particular thing sure he's got a few other things on the go um you know he started creative live and a few other things but primarily his photography is about you know shooting what he loves to shoot and people pay him very well to do it so um you know in landscapes i know peter lick doesn't have the best name in the <laughs> in the business in terms of a lot of photographers you know will openly mock him and deride him for what he does but clearly he's shooting what he loves and you know he, uh, what, he's what he extremely started. successful at that he's very successful i don't necessarily agree with all of his business tactics but you know he's uh by any measure of quite a successful photographer um uh, probably the most successful in the world <laughs> Well, yeah, I probably, <laughs> depending on you know whose numbers you believe, I guess. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know he's someone I looked up to early in my my uh, when it was very much a hobby. He uh, he's actually an Australian, although we kind of when he became an American, we went, yeah, you you guys can have him. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so he, he started with a couple of galleries here, here in Australia. And I grew up going to them, you know, this is back when he was shooting film and, you know, even back then he, he was quite successful by, you know, photography means. Um, so it was, it was, you know, inspiring to see his work, 
back then. You know, I'm less inspired by his actual photography these days. Um, I get some inspiration from his business. Like, well, you know, there's there's obviously room for quite large businesses in the landscape and finance sector. So I guess the the trick, the secret, so to speak, is to shoot what you love and then market it very well. Assuming it has a market, yes. because well, some 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 niches might not have a market at all. So then you just do it. Shoot it for yourself, for the artistic pursuit. And I, I think if you look at the art world, and not necessarily photography, but there is some pretty out there stuff. In my eye, anyway, and there's people making a living and selling things that I would never buy or even consider art, but you know they're selling them very well. So I think, regardless of what you're into, um, if you can market it right, there's 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 enough exposure on the internet that somebody's going to like it and somebody's going to buy it. <laughs> you just so, have to, to yeah. put it in front of the right pair of eyes. Yeah, and in the right context, mm-hmm. you know. So um, there's that old illustration of the, the you know, violinist playing in the subway and, you know, getting a handful of dollars. Um, but then you put that same violinist in, in a concert hall and people will pay, you know, hundreds if not thousands to listen to that person play um if you put your work in the right context i i I believe you know that helps in terms of selling it absolutely absolutely agreed so yeah that was a great conversation great insights about business too so i hope people didn't just tune out during this segment (laughs) I, I, i particularly love talking about also about those topics not just the beautiful places so thank you for uh, for your honest as you say uh, look at the status of the photography world in this respect before sure. we we close i would like to to ask you a couple of questions that i asked to all of my guests and the first one is uh, of the few countries that you haven't visited yet <laughs> uh, if money was not uh, a problem and time was not a problem which one would you go to had to go uh, tomorrow. See, I, I can't pick one. <laughs> uh, I, I I have a couple. Um, at the moment, I'm going through a bit of a what I call a cold weather phase, where I, uh, I'm wanting to photograph cold, snowy, mountainous scenes. So, I in that regard, I'd like to visit um, sections of Italy. Um, I want to revisit. Norway, um, and I'd love to do Russia, um, the far north of Russia. There's some pretty amazing scenes there. Um, the other place on my list is actually Croatia. Um, but uh, I think probably next for me will be, out of all that, will be Canada, actually. Um, it seems to be a lot more accessible than... <laughs> some of those other places yeah if you come to italy don't expect too much cold especially these days we had a basically had no winter here and today we are still technically in winter but it was uh it, it's almost 20 degrees so <laughs> here in the north it's uh it's it's about almost 20 degrees here now and well you <laughs> well you can, you can go on the alps uh on the in the alps uh 
in winter you will get you will get snow we didn't get much yeah snow i want to get to the dolomites yeah and, just just um, uh, if you if you had to come this year and you were expecting uh blankets of snow and everything white around it was actually very <laughs> brown <laughs> so, oh, hopefully next year <laughs> yeah, hopefully next year we hope so because we need we need some some snow on the alps to just to sure. fill our rivers with the, the yes music. Okay, so, uh, and the other question would be um, of the countries that you have already visited and you uh, were to go back to one of those tomorrow and again, money was no no issue at all, which one would you choose to and why? Iceland. Iceland. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because it's cold. Far, <laughs> it's, well, it's cold and it's amazing and I don't think I spent anywhere near enough time there last time. I was there for I think two weeks, and it just wasn't wasn't enough. Um, I think I could spend months there and not get everything I want to cover. Um, yeah, and that in Norway, um, I did kind of the Lofoten Islands and Senja, and didn't get very favourable weather. So I'd like to redo that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Thank you. Again, I think it was a great, interesting conversation. I would like to to thank you before closing. Uh, if you just want to say where people can uh, can go to find you online, uh, and of course we will put all the the links in the show notes and so on. But just uh, say your your website. Sure, my blog is paulmp.com. Is the easiest one to get to. Um, that's M for Matthew, P for Petugan. Um yeah, and then it's Paul MP on most social mm-hmm. media. <laughs> okay, right. I'm sure people yeah. will uh, will find you. So, anything else you would like to to add before we we say goodbye? Uh, no, not not at this stage. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> thank you very much, and uh, hope to see some photos of uh, Antarctica that I see that you started posting online, and maybe some <laughs> of your uh, next trips. So, uh, what I, I didn't ask if you have a other trips uh, scheduled for 2016 that people might uh, I do, to? I do. Um, I'm working on a couple within Australia at the moment. I'm working on proposals and uh, so probably my next trip will be to an area called Australia's Coral Coast. It's within Western Australia and has some of the best scuba diving in the world, better than the Great Barrier Reef. Um, but don't tell Queensland that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a trip to Tasmania coming up. Uh, Christmas Island where I'll be doing some scuba diving and some photography there Um, and I'm working on potentially an Iceland trip for the Midnight Sun again Um, and then towards the end of the year hopefully Canada I've just started talking to them and we'll we'll see if we can make something happen there and yeah I I think that's it yeah so that's really all now <laughs> sure. and uh thanks again for for being our guest uh, it was uh, very inspiring so all the best for you and goodbye not a problem thanks for having me bye so there you have it another interview with a great photographer and a very warm-hearted human being uh, i know paul and uh, he has a such a big heart so, once again, I would like to encourage you to visit our website at ttim.photo and our iTunes channel. 
And uh, one more thing, the music for this episode and all the other ones is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. Thank you very much.